Hey, everyone. Welcome to a, another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontifrac. And wow, uh, this is going to be weird, kind of interesting. Um, on today's show, we have a really and rather unique situation. I'm interviewing me, Dan Pontifrac. I don't know, how am I doing this? It's weird. Um, as the author of a new book called Work Life Bloom, how to nourish a team that flourishes. So why don't we uh, why don't we get a bio about him or me first? Who am I? And then get into some questions. Um, I hope you're okay with that. I am. Old Chatty, we asked Old Chatty what uh, what ChatGPT 4.0 had to say about Dan Pontifrac. Chatty said this, Dan Pontifrac isn't just a voice in the field of leadership. He's a resounding echo that reverberates through the corridors of corporate culture and personal development. Hmm. With a career spanning over two decades, Dan has been behind transformative leadership and cultural change in major organizations like SAP, TELUS, and Business Objects. His insights and strategies have not only reshaped companies, but have also guided leaders across the globe from Salesforce to Canada Post to the state of Tennessee to the government of Canada and others. An award-winning author of five groundbreaking books, including his latest gem, Work-Life Bloom, Dan's words aren't just read, they're experienced. His unique blend of empathy, intelligence, and a dash of humor makes him a sought-after keynote speaker, gracing stages at TED events and delivering about 50 keynotes a year. Old Chatty is smart. But Dan's influence doesn't stop at speaking and writing. He's a thought leader whose expertise is regularly featured in Forbes and HBR, and he shapes future leaders as an adjunct professor at the University of Victoria's Gustafson School of Business. Notably, he has earned many awards and distinctions, including being placed on the Thinker's 50 radar. Old Chatty is smart. Today, he's here to share his wisdom with us, to explore the nuances of leadership, and to dive into the concepts of his new book, Work Life Bloom. So let me give a warm welcome to a man who's not just shaping the future of work, but is also helping us find integration in our professional and personal lives. Holy smokes, was that weird. Okay. So anyway, Dan, Dan, first question for you. Okay. Uh, in terms of challenging conventional wisdom, work-life bloom seems to challenge the traditional notion of work-life balance and employee engagement. So what common myths or misconceptions about both of these concepts are you aiming to debunk with this book? Well, uh, first of all, Dan, thanks for having me on your show. This is totally weird. I hope you like the hat. I um, I suppose you could start with um, an answer that scratches at the surface, and then we'll get a little bit deeper. But that is what I found is that work-life balance has a couple flaws with the term itself. Um, first... I believe that based on my research and all kinds of other research that people have been doing, that we are, we are in a situation of what I would call work-work imbalance. And secondly, uh, if we purport to believe in work-life balance in the organization, yet we don't even have any conversations about life, how can you subscribe 
to a value or attributes or leadership behavior that suggests that you are putting work-life balance in the forefront. So that's a problem. Uh, third, when you come to the concept of employee engagement, first of all, we're calling it employee. How much bigger of a derogatory term is that? And secondly, why are we only measuring, quote, the engagement of the employee in a workplace? Don't I come to work with my whole human being in the forefront? And ergo, don't I bring my work home? So shouldn't we be more interested in how we are fulfilled or not in various components of work and life? That is what I think we need to be uh, digging into. So to say, Dan, and thanks for allowing me to be here. That's interesting from the perspective of engagement and and work-life balance but you're um you're also kind of a cr- critic i guess right of corporate culture today's corporate culture so kind of in your experience the research that you conducted where do you see organizations um falling short in terms of fostering a culture that might truly support its team members in sort of this notion of what you call bloom. Can you give maybe an example of particularly toxic trends that you've observed or things that are just kind of getting in the way in addition to that work-life balance and employee engagement point? Well, uh, there's a few things we could probably tackle, Dan. Uh, Some of the toxicity that I see in organizations, uh, first and foremost, I think is the cluelessness of many leaders. You know, some leaders, or many leaders, sorry, are, are so sort of fixated on the deliverable, you know, the targets, the objectives. And whilst it's I'm not against the fact that people have to, um, you know, address their deliverables and targets and objectives, but when that becomes the sole reason for your work, employees, which leaders will call them, will feel like an employee. They want to feel like a human being, like a team member. And wouldn't you argue that the reverse might be true? I.e., if we treat them like human beings, we have conversations and set up the right work-life conditions and factors so that people feel supported when they leave, quote, the office or the Zoom call or the Teams call when they're at home and vice versa, when they come into the workplace, they feel that they've been supported from that that life factor uh, kind of frame of mind. When we're not having these overarching holistic conversations, then we're just treating people like robots or numbers in a spreadsheet. And so the toxicity that I see a hell of a lot is this lack of awareness on and what human beings are. And leaders get so fixated on the doing that they forget that there are human beings that are behind the scenes doing the doing. Yeah, when we don't care about them and we don't create those conditions, you know, we're 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 ending up in potholes of stress and anxiety and then performance lags and you're going to have pressure situations and you're going to have all kinds of other workplace Issue. So let's just let's start there. Let's care about the whole human being. That's what I'd like to see first and foremost. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's brutal. <laughs> um, okay. Well, what about you? So, you know, in the book, you're sharing a few personal stories um, for certain, and the coda 
comes to mind, uh, what you particularly shared about a couple situations where things weren't really going your way. And I think you said you fell from blooming to renewal in a, in a matter of seconds or so it seemed. So have you ever found yourself um, sacrificing your personal happiness, your well-being, what have you, for either work or life or both of those situations in terms of like your overall success? And if so, how did um, how did these experiences that you went through, how did they shape your perspective for the book itself and work-life bloom? Yeah. Well, I guess I had to look back on my career as I was writing this particular book and look at my various work and life scenarios. Um, the one that comes to mind uh, was certainly in a situation where my my work and my life factors had, they fell precipitously, like prodigiously. They just fell out of the sky because uh, a company bought acquired our company. So SAP, the larger company, swallowed the minnow called Business Objects, although we were about 10,000 people. And we had just the best culture, the best team, uh, everything was clicking. And it was just, you know, the work factors like strategy and purpose and belonging just fell from the sky as I was trying to help understand what SAP wanted from us. And then some of my life factors, like my agency, my sense of um, autonomy, and whether I felt respect or not, all of it sort of became whitewashed by this river called SAP. So I had to ask myself, what am I going to do? And then I ultimately, through those questions, answered it with, I've got to move on. And I left the organization that I love for something else. Which I guess now leads to... Uh, it's sort of a question about the dark side of leadership. So you've you've experienced a fair bit. You've seen a lot of different leadership styles throughout your career, your your work as a consultant over the last five years or so. What are some of the darker aspects of leadership that really can affect you know the workplace? And then the flip side, of course, of the book is how, how does your book address this? So first, what are the what are those darker aspects of leadership that we should be looking out for? And does your book provide any hope, Dan? Hope. Yeah, it does provide hope. The darker aspects come back to how we are purporting a life of work-life balance for our people, how we measure once or twice a year employee engagement, and we sort of wrestle up everyone and say, hey, it's not good enough. We've got to do better and employee engagement scoring, yet not taking a step back and asking yourself, well, what, what makes up a blooming, if you will, or flourishing team member? So we need to do some hard rewiring in the organization. I would say that some of the, the darker other components of leadership these days is not just their cluelessness, as I you know alluded to earlier, but not caring about the overall wellness of the individual. And I don't think they mean it this way, but when we're not really thinking about what allows a human being to tick um, and those anxieties and stresses and burnouts continue to soar from whatever piece of data you want to you want to sort of analyze. That's what's worrying me. That's dark when leaders aren't caring about all of these human being conditions that are really taking a dive uh, in society these days. Which I, next up then would be controversial advice, I suppose. So 
Is there any advice that you have, whether it's in work-life bloom or, or not, frankly, that you think might be controversial or in fact counterintuitive to traditional business thinking? So in the book specifically, why did you choose to include whatever that might be, that advice in, in work-life bloom that is counterintuitive and almost controversial? Like what, what is it and, and why did you include it? Yeah, well, as, as in addition to, I suppose, like abolishing work-life balance and employee engagement, I think one of the things we really need to be thinking about is what are our norms? So one of the work factors uh, of the six is called norms. And, and those are the operating conditions for us to be effective, efficient, productive, performing. And when our organizations and particularly leaders aren't having conversations with the team members on what's getting in the way. Where's the friction? Where's the bureaucracy? What's making it difficult for me to do my job? Then we are not asking those questions. And when we don't ask those questions, then we assume as a leader that everything's hunky-dory and fine. In fact, as my research suggests, nothing could be further from the truth. There is so many things clogging the arteries of really good work. And those are avoidable. Those clogged arteries are are simply things getting in the way of that more effective, efficient, you know, productive performing type of uh, team or organization. So why not have team norms, organization norm discussions? What's getting in the way and why? I mean, that's not controversial per se, but it's controversial in the sense that why are we doing this? And why is it that so many people are frustrated with work and thus they're not blooming, they're in renewal or budding or stunted because we've just got this stuff in the way. So let's eliminate the friction and the red tape and the bureaucracy. And once we start doing that, then we're starting to line ourselves up for a better chance to bloom. That's what I'd like to see, Dan. Okay, what about the pandemic? So... The impact of the pandemic, a couple of questions here, right? So how did, um, how, how has the pandemic altered your views on the concepts ultimately of kind of work and life? And, and relatedly, how did the pandemic inform you and change your thinking maybe on what's going right, not so right in the organizations? Those, let's call them uncomfortable truths uh, that the pandemic in exposed or in the workplace. And so how does work life bloom act as an antidote maybe to some of those uncomfortable truths? Sure. Uh, I hope we have a lot of time left in this uh, leadership now podcast, because there are several uncomfortable truths. One, one of course is belonging. So when the pandemic hit, we all belong to the singular entity known as survival. We had no idea what this, um, you know, virus was going to do. We had no antidotes. We had no vaccines. And so there was a heck of a lot of empathy. And so, but that's boomeranged. And what's happened is the, the empathy is now not totally gone, but it's certainly dissipated. And we've got situations there where people don't feel like they belong because that leader is not being empathic anymore. And whether the belonging as an example could be by identity, it could be because of my parenting situation, my housing situation, all these stressors that are coming in from an economic perspective, you've got 
so much more pressure on human beings from um, 2019 to today. That's a four-year difference. And the pandemic has exacerbated people's analysis of what really matters. So whether I feel like I belong, uh, what's my sense of meaning, uh, do I have great relationships, uh, like my network? How are my skills? Are they being used or not? These are all work and life factors that I'm getting at, Dan, that if a leader's not, again, having those conversations and questions about where the person stands in that spectrum, shame on you. But if an organization isn't willing to uncover um, and discover some of those uncomfortable truths, then yeah, we, we're going to have ourselves quite quite a problem here. That's for sure. Okay. Last question before we ask uh, where to find out more about you and your book, future predictions and even warnings. So if you're looking ahead, um, what are some of the potential uh, pitfalls or dangers that you foresee organizations and leaders um, falling into if they fail to embrace these principles, you know, these six work and six life factors that you've uh, packed into work-life bloom and the resulting effect of, you know, continuing to play out, as you've said, you know, the, the myth of both work-life balance and employee engagement. So what's your crystal ball tell you, Dan, about the future and the pitfalls if uh, we're not paying attention to the research and the work you've put forward uh, in the book? Yeah, I wish I had a crystal ball, but if I'm going to answer that question with some respect, I would say there's a palpable um, concern of mine that lends itself a little bit generationally. I think if uh, if boomers and Xers start to check out and just say, you know, the hell with it, like nothing's ever going to change around here, then you're going to lose out on an incredible cadre and cohort of experience and intellect and coaching opportunities and just uh, knowledge sharing. And so for millennials and Gen Zs that are the up and coming in the organization, what, what are they to do? You know, they're going to look around and say, look, this is it. This is what life is called. And so as we see since 2008, 2009 in the fiscal cliff era, that burnout, anxiety, stress, isolation, loneliness, obesity, addictions are all significantly on the rise globally, then how does this stop? How do we curb this? So, yeah, I think we're at a crisis. I think we're at a crisis point. I think we're at an inflection point. I think that if we continue to think that employee engagement, work-life balance, and not having these heart-to-heart conversations of how do we want to be known as a leader in our organizations for the future health of society? I mean, it sounds that I am uh, apocalyptic here, Dan, but I do worry about the next five to seven years. And I think we need to be doing a hell of a better job on what it means to bloom in both work and life. Okay, well, uh, that was weird and interesting and all of that above. Thank you, Dan. It is Dan, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So where can we find out more about you and the book? Pretty easy. Uh, worklifebloom.com is your easiest way to go. Free assessment is there as well. Okay, perfect. Okay, everyone. Well, 
I hope you enjoyed my interview with me or with Dan. I'm not how uh, you're taking to this, but uh, it's as weird for me as it probably is for you. If you made it this far, uh, I do hope you uh, enjoyed the show. Uh, once again, my name's Dan Pontifrac. You've been listening to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontifrac. Weird alert. Okay, everyone. Have a good one. Cheers. Bye.